every experience in our life teaches us something and whether it's positive or not positive or traumatic it teaches us something and it's and you know if, if our lives were just like you know smooth and easy and happy and joyful we would learn stuff for sure but it's the crap in our life that we learn the most from and it and it shows us who we are as people and it, and it really highlights our emotional resilience and how we can step over things and survive them and build something new. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, I have a beautiful soul, Eleanor Crawford. Now, this woman is an emotional balance coach specializing in helping women who are experiencing heartbreak, separation, or divorce. Elle's a qualified clinical hypnotherapist and master practitioner in NLP and brings a wealth of experience and expertise to, to support her clients to navigate their challenges with emotional and mental awareness and expansion. She also runs events under her Divas International Club banner, and these include lunches, retreat days, and online events, especially for her community wanting more connection, self-care, and education. In her spare time, this beautiful soul loves hanging out with her sons and grandsons and walking her beloved Lexi on the beach, her beautiful dog. Her life goal is to travel around Australia supporting women through coaching and education. Uh, get the tissues ready, guys. This one is a phenomenal show. This beautiful soul has had more grief and trauma than many would ever have in one lifetime. So what I love more about this particular interview is just the way Elle shows us how to get up, out, over, and through those times. So to do it with courage and grace, to do it with an ongoing commitment to your education, your learning, your expansion, and your awareness is what this beautiful soul is all about. So if you enjoy today's show, please make sure you head on over to Follow Gorgeous L at her gorgeous pages. All the uh, website details and socials are in the notes, but you can also leave a comment on my socials, Kim Morrison 28 at Instagram, Kim Morrison Training on Facebook, and you can also go to the wellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Guys, get ready for a beautiful interview, an amazing show, and an incredible soul. As you can hear, it is always a delight for me to interview very special souls. And I am delighted this week to introduce you to the beautiful Elle Crawford. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, gorgeous girl. Thank you, Kim. Thanks so much for having me. Now, I'm not going to lie, we've done this recording already and I accidentally deleted it. So here we are, your beautiful self has shown up again and we're having this chat all over, but there's something about that. There's something about being able to speak and rehearse and to actually look at life in the way that we try and do things the best that we can. But mistakes happen, life happens. And life isn't actually a rehearsal. And one of the things that you've taught me more than anything is the power of living in the now. Perhaps you could just give our beautiful listener a background as to who you are and what led you on the amazing path of personal growth and self-development and all of the incredible things that you've been through to lead you to this point right here, right now. 
Okay, well, it's uh, it was it's a long and twisty, windy journey, that's for sure. And um, I, it all started when I was seventeen, which is seems like so long ago, almost forty years. Goodness, that uh, that makes me feel very old. When I was seventeen, my parents' long-standing marriage, I'm the youngest of seven kids, broke up, and um, my dad fell in love with someone else, and it really just sent me on a completely different path. I was, um, you know, on my way to university and I was doing all the things and then I ended up running away because I had no capacity in how to deal with that. I didn't know how to deal with my own heartbreak. I didn't know how to deal with my mum's heartbreak. And instead of facing up or expressing and acknowledging my feelings, I ran away, which I don't coach that's not how I coach my clients but I was 17 and I was young and and I was just broken I was so so devastated my dad was like my hero and suddenly he wasn't and so it sent me running away to the country in near Adelaide and I married at 20 which was not my plan at all but being I thought marriage was actually a bit of a crock of shit to be honest when I was 15 16 I thought it was unsustainable um But, yeah, I ended up being married and had some kids and then it all sort of went pear-shaped from there. When I was 24, my second child, my daughter Chloe, was born and when she was 17 months old, um, she was diagnosed with a liver liver tumour that was, at the time she was 17 months, it it was two and a half times my fist. So you can imagine the only real symptoms I had that she wasn't 100% healthy, like she just, she was fine, but it was she was fine one minute and not great the next. Like I just, it was all over the place. And she had a bit of a big belly. But because she was a toddler, you know, that's that's pretty, you know, pretty normal for toddlers to have a bit of a pop belly. And so that sort of started a complete uh, few years of, of of stress. And oh my God, she was just such a warrior. You can imagine the 17 months suddenly you having chemotherapy and radiotherapy and surgery and she had no idea what was going on and to watch her go through that was inspiring and heartbreaking you know in you know at the same time so at one stage Chloe was only was given you know a very very bad prognosis and she was like our second child my older son was already five so we decided to have another child. Our marriage was already pretty rocky. In fact, before Chloe was diagnosed, I decided to leave the marriage because I was very, very unhappy. I was living in country South Australia and it was a very insular environment, very clicky, and I just really didn't fit in and I was missing my family, missing Adelaide, and I just really didn't, like, I really said yes to getting married because, I mean, I loved my husband, but I could have just loved him and been his girlfriend. You know, I just, I just thought that that's what you did when someone asked you to get married. You, you said yes. And so, when, um, when Chloe was around um, two, they told us the prognosis was not wonderful. So we decided to have another child. And then um, I felt pregnant. And then Chloe was um, had some experimental chemotherapy that actually really helped what was going on. And so then she was accepted for a liver transplant. So in August 1992, uh, Chloe had a liver transplant and I was 35 weeks pregnant with my next child and that turned out to be my third child, a son. 
and he was born um, six weeks later. And so then we needed to stay. We were in Sydney. We needed to stay there for three months. And then we came home in, in you know, a very happy family with a with a son, a healthy daughter, and then a newborn son as well. And we just got back into life. But really, my heart was still telling me that I wasn't feeling fulfilled and happy. And, and so when my youngest son was one, I decided to leave the marriage. And it was a really tough decision because my husband obviously didn't want that outcome. And I feel very, um, you know, sad and heartbroken for him about that. But because we couldn't find a way to separate amicably. Um, I ended up leaving the home and leaving my kids with him and taking a risk that over time they would be able to come back and live with me. And that, that took about six to eight months, but eventually they came and they were living with me full time. I sort of knew my husband well enough to know that um, that this could happen and I really had to just just really pray and and trust the universe that 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 was what was going to happen so then at 28 I found myself a single mum of three kids and I was really quite happy I um was working and everything was going quite well you know I had you know I dated and we were, we were going fine and then um then Chloe got unwell again and there were there were part there were times of ill health during that time but when she was 12 we went for a um went for a an appointment with her doctor and and he just wasn't really happy with her blood results so he decided to admit her it was in December and he decided to admit her and just to give her some antibiotics to to you know rebalance her and send her off healthily but it, that didn't happen and she um that was around the 8th of December and then we ended up in Sydney because they thought that, that they knew that she needed another liver transplant because her liver um, was failing and what they found after many weeks of ill health was that she actually had bowel cancer and so there was a massive fight to get her home um, because the prognosis was terminal and so I really had to fight against lots of resistance to get her back to Adelaide and then once she was back in Adelaide to get her home and I got her home for 36 hours before she passed away which was 20 years last month on the 17th. So if losing a child doesn't change you and if it's not the biggest emotional and personal development journey, I don't know what is. Uh, there's, there's nothing really else unless you lost multiple children, I suppose. But it is one of the biggest events that you can experience in your life and it's completely unique to every different person. You know, I have people very close to me have also lost children and it's completely different for them than it is to, for me. But that really sent me onto a, a pathway of, of emotional and personal development. A few years before, when I was like when I just separated from my husband, I really had a, an epiphany where I just did not like myself. I realized I thought, I don't like the person I am, the parent I am, anything about myself. And so that was when I first started reading. And the first book I ever ever read was The Seat of the Soul by Gary Zukoff. And that was amazing because it talked about the fact that we're earth school and that we're spiritual beings having a physical experience and that really made sense to me. And then I re and then I found Dr. Wayne Dyer and he was just one of the biggest, most valuable teachers in my life. And I listened to um, there's, a, there's a spiritual solution for every problem on repeat because it really helped me through some very, very tough times. 
And then when Chloe passed away, I was obviously I was with her and it was very, very evident to me that we are spiritual beings having a physical experience because she looked completely different when after her spirit had left her all that energy and all that fizz and all that personality had gone, even though she was very, very, very ill, gravely ill. She still had that animation in her body, but once she passed away, that had gone. It was an empty vessel. And that so that really, like, confirmed to me that this is, this is my path, that we are spiritual beings. And so then um, I was grieving, you know, I was, I was grieving, but I was also relieved of the care of a chronically ill child so there was some time freedom that I had never ever had and you know I was 35 and I'd never been sort of I'd never I'd missed out on all that teenage and young 20s fun and so I sort of went out and had lots of fun and um, in the pros in the process of that I met my second husband and he was um, that was connected to me becoming a facilitator for Bob Proctor, who is a fantastic mindset teacher still around. I reckon he must be in his 80s now. And uh, so I became a facilitator for that and I loved that. Like it just all clicked for me. I, it was amazing. And then I married and my second husband, who I'm dearly great friends with today, he was a bad boy and he swept me off my feet and um, but we were a bit like oil and water. There was no problem about loving each other, but we, our values were quite different. And I found it really difficult to be a co-parent with him because he wanted the family and wanted to have a, a child and all of that. But he just really wasn't, he didn't really have the, the, uh, the awareness of, of knowing how to do that. And, and so, yeah, I mentioned then that we did have a child together, my beautiful youngest son who is now almost 17 and towers above me. But the beautiful story around um, Declan, my younger son, is that when I found out I was pregnant, things were a bit rocky between me and his dad. And I thought, goodness, what am I going to do? And I knew when I'd conceived him. And so I counted 40 weeks forward. And the date of my um, due date was the 16th of April, which is Chloe's birthday. And so I thought, oh, well, Chloe's giving me a, an, another opportunity to have a child, so this is awesome. And then Declan was actually born on her birthday, so I have birthday twins, which makes that day, the 16th of April, a beautiful day because it's it's something that I can celebrate Declan's birthday as well as honouring my beautiful girl. Uh, and so that's sort of how I came to um, have my fourth child. After that, I was in a bricks and mortar business. I owned a boxing fitness gym. And when Declan was one, I started that. And then um, just before I was 50, I met my third husband. And I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't have the awareness and I didn't have, I, yeah, it was the awareness. I just didn't realise how broken I was. You know, I was relying on alcohol and shiny objects and dating wrong men and just always externally looking for something to, to, to fix my broken heart from the outside. And, we, and, you know, I know that that now I know that that doesn't work. And so I was seeing a psychologist and I'd, been, I'd ended a relationship and within a month she said to me, just the, I think one of the worst advice that I've ever been given was you need to go dating again. And I was like, what? And she said, yeah, go on. And so, of course, being the people pleaser, now reform people pleaser that I was, I just said, okay went online dating and met my third husband and he did sweep me off my feet and I would and because I was such a 
I've I actually did a podcast interview of my in my own podcast called um, from plasticine to empowered or something because I felt like plasticine. I was molded like I was I could never stand on my own two feet with my boundaries set and be really empowered and strong in my own personality. It was always like, oh, well, I don't really like you with short hair. Okay, I'll grow my hair. I don't really like you with long hair. Oh, okay, I'll short, I'll, you know, I'll cut my hair. Or I don't like you wearing those rings. Okay, well, I won't wear those rings. It was ne- Now I would just be going like, fuck you, no way. Like I would just definitely be <laughs> no way. But, you know, but this, I'm only talking 60 years ago and I really was still very, very broken. And I know that that was the trauma from my past. You know, there was lots of, you know, lots of trauma from my parents' divorce and my own divorce, Chloe's death, and then my parents' deaths. And then I've had some two nephews die and my best friend's son. Like, I've had like many, many, many sort of punctuated times in my life that have that have been around death. And so grief has been like my sidekick. And when six years ago, I was not dealing with the grief very well. And so I was always looking externally to, to fix that. And it wasn't until I started NL, studied NLP um, and really, really like was honest and transparent with myself that I realised how broken I was and I started to really heal and started to really understand that it was my my inner world is reflected externally, not the other way around. It's an incredible story and one that I'm very grateful and honoured that you share with us because all elements of it affects all of us. We all deal with death at some point we may all deal with some sort of trauma at some point. But these are pretty loaded and very big events. And one of the things you said at the beginning when you had this perfect idyllic upbringing at the age of 17, instead of facing it or being taught or shown the way, you ran away. Mm -hmm. As a parent now with a 17-year-old son Mm -hmm. and obviously your two older boys, Is that something now in your 50s you've been more focused on teaching and showing them the way? Is it something you're more open about? Is it something you believe that we as parents need to take greater responsibility for our children's welfare? Absolutely. Um, My first, my oldest son, the gates closed on that. He's a very much his own man with his own, you know, set of ideals and and you know, thinking um, my middle son is beautiful and he listens, but he's also like he's, you know, 29 as well. So he does listen and he still rings me for advice and he's and he's beautiful, um, but I have not as quite as much influence, although I did give him a um, an Audible subscription for Christmas and just the other day he bought a book on it and I was so, so, so happy and it was The Resilience Project, which is a perfect first book. To listen to so I, I think you know he watches and he listens and he doesn't take everything on board but he likes to know that I'm there coaching not coaching sorry encouraging and and you know cheering for him my younger son he's um Declan he and I have been on our own together our entire lives other than living with his brothers um but it's just been him and me pretty much since he was one so uh, I have been really careful about how I speak with him, especially over the last few years. And I am all, you know, we talk all the time about emotions and how important it is to acknowledge and express your emotions. And so he is great and he'll sit down and he'll talk to me about anything. Nothing is off, 
off the table with Declan. And that's awesome. Sometimes it can be a bit challenging as a mother, you know, some of the personal stuff, but I would way prefer him to tell me than not. And so I think it's really important to show them the way that it's actually okay. And this last six weeks has been very, very challenging for me. It was Chloe's 20th anniversary. Christmas is tricky. It's another really strong anniversary in there as well, plus dealing with this property settlement stuff that I'm going through. And it's been a really big emotional roller coaster. And so Declan has seen me acknowledging that and, you know, taking time out for myself and taking a step back from my business and just being really honest and just saying, actually, I'm not feeling that great, you know, this, and, and that's okay. And, and I think when, as parents, when we're really honest and transparent and we show them our emotions, it gives them permission to do the same. So I think it's really important. One of the other things you talked about or we, we were talking recently about was that, and this is a hard one to say it, and I hope that anyone listening to this knows that I say it with love, but one thing you've always talked to me about in the past is that there is actually gifts in trauma. And I know we can't say that to somebody in the middle of heartache or in the throes of despair. That's the last thing you want to hear. But how would you articulate that to us? that there is always a gift in whatever you're going through? Well, I think the gift is, is actually um, in that awareness, like building that awareness in yourself, you know, that, that whole growth factor of trauma because every experience in our life teaches us something and whether it's positive or not positive or traumatic, it teaches us something and it's and you know if, if our lives were just like you know smooth and easy and happy and joyful we would learn stuff for sure but it's the crap in our life that we learn the most from and it and it shows us who we are as people and it and it really highlights our emotional resilience and how we can step over things and survive them and build something new and i think that in the rawness of trauma, of course, it doesn't feel that way. It's in, in hindsight. It's like, okay, well, that happened. And from there, I learned this about myself and I learned that about, um, you know, other people as well. And I was able to put in some boundaries and, you know, I was really able to, to live and to experience and to come from that place of emotional resilience. So, yeah, I totally agree, and I say this with absolute love too. If you're if you're in the middle of a traumatic experience, or as I call life shit storms, um, then this is probably not something that you want to hear right now. But with time and with distance and with space, and you will know that there there is a gift in it. It's just you've got to look for it, and you it'll come to you. How on earth? Do we progress through that then? And what is the pathway to finding the gift? Because some can find it quite quickly and some may never find it in their life. So how would you suggest or what is your suggestion apart from amazing books and journeys with people like Bob Proctor, Wayne Dyer, um, the books like, you know, the, the Seed of the Soul, all of these things are amazing, but we have to be in the right space to want to learn, to read and to listen to this. What's that little pathway? How do we get there? Is it through coaching? Is it through I don't know, but you said alcohol and going out and partying didn't help. So give us the other way. Yeah, I th well, I think it's 
I think you one have to want to, like you have to want to be a better version of yourself. And I, I don't mean that as a, you know, shiny tie bow around it version. I mean as a, a version that is deeper and has more awareness and is an expanded personality because our personal reality is a reflection of our personality. So whatever we are living and experiencing in our lives is a reflection of our inner world and how we think and feel and and treat ourselves. You know, we can't treat someone else differently to the way we treat ourselves. And, and, and as our beautiful teacher has said, Juliet, on many, many times, is how we do one thing is how we do everything. So if we treat ourselves disrespectfully, then we're going to treat other people that way as well. So I think awareness is the key. You really have to be aware of who you are as a person and be really honest you know we're not we're not saints and we're not perfect and sometimes we screw up but it's about being honest and about being really transparent with yourself and then loving yourself anyway because we're all just doing the best that we can with what we have and the resources that we know about and life does not come with a handbook so it's like you know, oh, my God, we, we're having these things bombarded at us and we're just sort of ducking and weaving and trying to keep our head above the water and trying to keep that joy and happiness. But it does take some real honesty and transparency with yourself, and that is the hardest thing. I think being honest with yourself and really listening to your heart and your intuition, because your body will not or your intuition and heart and body will not send you in the wrong direction. Your mind will because your, your conscious mind will because it's just chatter, like it will, and that's part of where your ego is. And so that will, but it's about really taking being still and being in the present and listening to what your heart is saying and being very, very honest and transparent with yourself. Let's go back then, being that 17-year-old girl that you were mm-hmm. and all of a sudden your world is ruptured. Mm-hmm. It's completely changed. What could have been done, and we, you and I both know that everything's perfect, so it's not about changing and it was all ideal and obviously you've learned so much from that, but if you had that time over, if you could tell your parents how to do it differently, there'll be someone listening to this who could be going through a tough time or about to make a decision like this. How could they manage their beautiful children or is there a better way in your humble opinion? Well, my parents were of the generation where you didn't share your emotions with your children. So, you know, we, my mum and I guessed that my dad wasn't happy. I don't know how much he told her, but he definitely didn't tell me anything. So I think being open with your children and being really just being human, you know, just if you're feeling sad or upset or pissed off or whatever it is, just actually tell them. Because they they are way smarter than we give them benefit of, and so and they and especially um, younger kids before they've had all the conditioning, you know they're really intuitive. So they will they're on your side, they're on your team. So so just be really honest with them. The other thing that I wish I'd done differently. Well, I don't wish I'd done it differently because I ended up marrying and having three beautiful children to my first husband. So obviously that was meant to be. But when I told my dad that my first husband and I were moving in together, and my, by this stage my parents were divorced and he was remarried, he sent, at the time, which, is, which was my dad's MO, he would be fine, and then he'd send a letter, like a big, long letter. And he sent me this letter 
And I still remember sitting in the lounge room reading it with my mum and I was so angry at him for um, for judging or for having the opinion that this relationship wasn't right for me. And that's what he was essentially saying was that, you know, this is a phase, you'll grow out of it, He's, you, you're going to out, you know, outgrow him and all that stuff, which he was he was absolutely correct. But I wasn't taking advice from someone who just broke my heart. Like, I, So I think that if, if I had my time again and I could have been more emotionally aware and listened to what my dad had said, then, you know, it would have changed the trajectory and I wouldn't have had the kids that I had and all of that. But I think it's really important that when you communicate with someone that you actually take put a lot of self-responsibility in there so you're not you know you're not using the you language you're using the i language so that they don't feel they don't feel challenged and they don't feel threatened so if you're communicating with your with your kids and you're in a time where you're feeling trauma i think it's really important to take full responsibility total self-responsibility and to be honest and and to keep out that the language of you know the you you did this you did that Beautiful advice and something that leads leads very well into what we do as coaches. And one thing that you said to me last time we spoke was just how the experiences you've been through is really what's made you the phenomenal coach that you are, that you've experienced heartache and grief and loss and trauma and tragedy and all of those things which in many ways would make you more empathetic, more understanding. As a coach now, a professional coach, how do you encourage people to do things? I imagine it's the same. No one wants to be told what to do. So how do you as a coach then lead someone to that place of self-awareness? Well, I think that people who come to coaches are curious anyway. You know, they it's, they want to make some changes in their life, otherwise they wouldn't be coming to a coach. So I think that that's a good start. And then it's just about going gently and it's about just leading them with empathy, as you said, and compassion and just letting them understand that, you know, they have complete power and control over their emotions. And I think that's the thing that people in the world, especially now, feel like and act like and experience themselves at the mercy of their emotions rather than understanding that as the experiencer and observer of our lives that we actually are the creator as well. So every event is is neutral because we're meaning-making machines. So every event that happens in our life is neutral until we put meaning on it. And, you know, this can be proven easily because if something happens and you don't know about it, then there's no emotion. And it's only when you know about it, that's when the emotion gets, gets tied to it. So that in, when you flip that, then you know that you actually have the power to, yeah, have the emotional reaction. But as my favourite teacher, Dr Joe Dispenza, says, it's so important how long you're in that emotion. He calls it the refractory period which is hard to say, refractory, but it's how long you're in that emotion because it's the, the when you are stuck in an emotion, it, it's like Groundhog Day. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then if you don't actually express it, but say you, say you over, over a couple of weeks it sort of settles down, but you haven't actually expressed it. 
then it actually it gets stored as a repressed emotion and then life will bring you other experiences that will trigger that same emotion until you deal with it, until you actually acknowledge it and release it. So, um, yeah, so I just do it gently, <laughs> guide them gently and sometimes they need a bit of a kick up the bum but, you know, that's also good. And then I think the biggest um, benefit or the biggest resource that I use is hypnosis. I find that is amazing for this, for helping people to get to that place. You make a great point about the conscious mind and now conscious thought coming into play and the meaning we put into things. It's a fascinating thing then because, as you say, with hypnosis, that's working with the unconscious mind predominantly. And what I love with the teachings that we've both had is that our job as hypnotists isn't to hypnotize anybody, but more importantly, unhypnotize them. Yes. Could you explain that to us and how that is such a big part in the work that you do with the unconscious mind? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we rely solely on our unconscious mind until we're seven. And that's when our critical faculty or our analytical mind steps in. So this, this is why you see, you know, kids having tantrums because they don't have any way of reasoning or, or you know, seeing, seeing the logic. They just are all feeling, you know, they don't make any meanings of it. They're just feeling beings. And so then when we, when before we are seven, we're like big sponges. So anything that someone tells us or shows us or teaches us, you know, it just goes straight into our unconscious mind and gets stored there. And that then drives our behaviors, drives our feelings and, and our thoughts. And as we as we get into adulthood and we get more and more models around us, you know, teachers and friends and parents and grandparents and family, and um, especially in the culture of schools where, you know, you, you've, it's just like a minefield going through school, navigating school. And I think that that's when a lot of those, that conditioning from that time sets up our mindset, you know, how we think about ourselves, how we think about, our, you know, other people, how we think about our culture. And that's when it's all set up. And if we're not taught how to, how to express and release our emotions, then they all get stored and they just drive our behaviour. And then sometimes you know, we, we might be in our 30s or 40s and we have a knee-jerk reaction to something and we go, where the hell did that come from? And it could come from when we were like 10 or younger and it's because it's all stored in our unconscious mind. So it's really important that we know that, that that's, that's how we work, that our mind is like 95% unconscious and 5% conscious and all the thinking stuff that I think most people think that their conscious mind is like the boss but it actually isn't you know our un unconscious mind is the boss it drives our body it you know it heals us it makes sure that our heart beats it makes sure that we breathe it has such a massive uh it's like the control room of our whole life and so when when you know that it just gives you a completely different perspective on life because you go oh okay that's why that happened and then as a hypnotist we can actually help help our clients to release those long held on you know repressed emotions that will then change their future path an experience i had with hypnosis was i had i had pain in my back for many years and in one very simple session 
um, I was blown away and I went into it skeptically. My critical factor was high thinking, yeah, I love all this work, but I'm not sure I can get rid of my pain. I haven't had the same back pain since. And that was, I reckon it was a, a probably a 10 minute part of the session. Now, what do you think is the occurrence there? How does our mind trap pain? Well, our body is the is the vessel for our emotions. So if our body is out of balance because our emotions are out of balance, so if we have emotions that are repressed or we're out of balance or we're living in emotions of stress, our body has to communicate that to us somehow. It's an imbalance in our body. It's an imbalance in our, in our unconscious mind, which is our body. And so if we have something that is not quite right, it's just off kilter, the only way our body can communicate that to us is through dysfunction. And our body is trying to tell us something. It's wanting to send us a message that there is something going on there that you're not acknowledging. And so either show up in pain or illness or ill health or dysfunction. And stress is the, one, is the biggest cause of ill health. It's if, when you, if you Google what does stress cause, you will just get a litany of, of you know, dis, diseases and ill health, um, you know, issues. And so that is all. Stress is one of the things that is, is something that's a real passion of mine because I know that our body reacts in a way that, you know, heightens our stress hormones, which are meant to be temporary. But because our minds are so clever and that we can imagine we can imagine risk and danger and we can imagine, you know, things that are going to harm us, that can put us, just that imagining of that can put us into a high stress level. And so years and years and years ago, you know, when, when we were before we had all these modern stresses, we would be stressed and then, and then the stress level would settle down and we'd be back to, you know, to calm and balance just like an animal does because obviously an animal doesn't have the critical faculty, doesn't have the analytical mind. But because now we imagine a stressful situation or we imagine danger or we imagine something negative, then that then elevates our stress hormones too. So we just continuously live in this state of stress which causes the disease and dysfunction and pain. And so, yeah, it's really important to, to actually honour and acknowledge anything that is going on in your body and understand that it's a message from your body. It's the only way your body can communicate dysfunction or imbalance. Dr. Joe Dispenza is a classic example of this, and you mention him with such regard. He was a gentleman who broke his back and fell off his bike and unbelievably healed himself with six weeks of lying on his stomach by choosing to communicate to his body, for want of a better word. Do you believe then, so there's someone like beautiful Dr. Joe Dispenza who heals his back through thought and understanding the innate intelligence of his incredible body to do this, avoiding surgery. And yet there's your beautiful Chloe, so innocent, such a beautiful babe, may not have known those skills, but still had the innate intelligence. How on earth do we explain those differences, sweetheart? Well, you know, I've thought about this so many times, Kim, because I thought if only I knew then what I knew now, but I'm not sure that anyone knew then what we know now. You know, this, this 
whole science, the quantum field, the quantum science, you know, knowing that your body has an innate intelligence at a cellular level and that you can actually, you know, you can actually communicate with it to heal yourself has really only come to the forefront, you know, fairly recently as far as, as, you know, when you think about science. And I still think that I believe that we're all one. So I believe that we are, as I said before, spiritual beings having a physical experience, but we all come from the same source. So I am you and you and I, and so I am Chloe and Chloe is me. And I still think that there was some emotions that I was repressing. This is my, this is just my theory on it, that there was emotions that I was repressing that Chloe actually also was experiencing and and then that came out as dysfunction in her body. Now, it, could, it also could be environmental as well. Like we'll never know because it was, you know, well, she died 20 years ago, but she was diagnosed in 1990. So that's, you know, that's 32 years ago. So a long, long time. But I just, I just know that, you know, she, when she was, under seven she just fought and fought and fought and fought because she didn't know anything else to do that was her that was the way she was because she didn't have any critical faculty and it wasn't until she was a little bit older where you know she started to feel embarrassed about she had a big they call it a mercedes um scar where because with a um transplant they have like a mercedes star transplant and a scar and she you know she started to get feel a bit embarrassed about that and she wasn't feeling well and it, and it was think it felt like that once she once that critical faculty kicked in then that's when things started to really change for her because she didn't have the education and the awareness and nor did I to help her understand what was going on so it's a really difficult question to answer but I feel like it would be really difficult to you know help a child to meditate. I mean, that's what Joe Dispenza did. He meditated for hours and hours and hours and hours to heal himself. And that's what you, you know, that's what you need to do to, in order to get that communication pathway with your body and to do, and to help a child learn that and then coach them in doing that. That I think that would be pretty tricky. You know, I think that as a mother being so emotionally involved, I think that would have been pretty hard. It was hard enough to get her to eat, let alone meditate. Yeah, it's a fascinating one, isn't it? And something yeah. that I think maybe there's a greater force at play as well. You know, one of the beliefs I've had is that there is a certain number of days we're on this planet and depending on the choices we make and the decisions we make will depend on which way we go. But my belief, the only way I can get through some of the tragedies that I've experienced is thinking that that was always going to happen on that day. It just was a case of which which way, but it was always going to happen on that day. And I don't know if it's true or not. There's no truth really in anything. It's just beliefs, but it brings comfort to me to think that we are all going to go at some point, but depending on the decisions we make day to day, it could be, you know, like I look at Danny's grandmother who lived well into her 80s, late 80s, but the last 10 years of her life were critically ill, like they were challenged 
Whereas, and, and the decisions she had made, I wouldn't say she looked after herself in the best way with smoking and drinking. And she was a, she was a character, I can promise you. But the last 10 years of her life were very hard from a health perspective, as opposed to someone who maybe looks after themselves and takes care of themselves may still die at 88 years young, but they went out running a marathon. I don't know. So to me, it's always like, well, if that's the case, people say, well, then I might as well eat and drink whatever I want. But then it's about quality, isn't it? Mm. It's about the best you can possibly do. So as a coach and as someone who's been through so many things, you've created a beautiful club, the Divas International Club. And this is something that I've really been inspired by you, that a community is very important. You just said, I am you, you am I. We are all one. But often when we're going through hard times, it's very hard to feel connected to anybody, let alone anything. So community and connection is very important to you. And could you explain to us a little bit about why Divas International has become so important and why it is so successful as a connector for people at the moment? Well, I think that, you know, the divas, the divas sort of tenants are community, camaraderie, connection, education and fun. And I think that, you know, in, in real life connection, I think connection is, connection is obviously a basic human need. We all need to, you know, be with other people. We don't do well if we don't, if we don't connect with others and relate, have relationships with others. However, I think that in real life connection is, you know, that's the ideal. And obviously we've had a lot of restriction around that in the last two years and looks like that might continue for a little longer. But I think that when women get together in a, in a community where they have a similar thread of experience and they see other women who have experienced similar things to them who have actually thrived it, as I say, um, I think it gives them hope and permission and inspiration to do the same themselves. And that was one thing that really drove me. And originally the Divas Club was all about women who have been divorced, but I actually have opened that up to women who have had heartbreak, grief, separation or divorce because that's what I've experienced in my life. I've experienced all of those, heartbreak, grief, separation and divorce. And there have been times of severe isolation. And especially when you're going through grief and it just is such a unique and personal experience that no two experiences are the same. So, But there is, a, there is an overlap. So by getting together with other women who, have grieving, who are grieving or who are in the middle of a divorce or separation or just a heartbreak, just knowing that someone else has experienced it and has survived it or has even, you know, become even stronger and more empowered is so inspiring. And that's why I'm doing this, to make it really grassroots movement, to help women edify each other, to build that community and have that connection so that they can be, you know, become the better version of themselves. And I know that that term is bandied around all over the town become the better version of yourself but essentially that's a really important thing to do because as I said before your outer world is a, is a reflection of your inner world so if you're not the best version of yourself then you're not going to get the best life version either so I think that that's why it's so important to build that community and to support each other to edify each other to you know get rid of the comparison and just accept and love each other for exactly who you are as a person 
as a woman. And then, then that allows that growth and it allows that, that acknowledgement and, and now it allows that inspiration for each other. And I just think it's so important, even more so these days. Agreed, agreed. And one of the things that you talk about so profoundly is that that real understanding, that awareness that we've heard you mention a number of times. To be fully aware of oneself, one has to know oneself and to observe oneself, one has to do that without judgment. <clears throat> what is your definition of self-love then? Does that come into this? Oh, self-love for sure. I mean, I think self-love is like the umbrella of several different things, you know, like self-care, self-compassion, self-acceptance, also boundaries, you know, having that self-responsibility but also setting boundaries so that you are not being walked over or not, I call it your your magic hoop that you stand in, which is, you know, you, you stand in your magic hoop with your boundaries um, and with all your values and your beliefs and what you feel really, you know, strongly about is in your hoop. You've got this boundary of this magic hoop. And then if someone else has is standing in their hoop, but their, their values and their beliefs and, you know, the way that they feel d- doesn't align with you at all, then you keep your boundary, your hoop up. But if it, if it does align with you, then you might like, you know, in the old maths where you have a subset, the hoops might just overlap a bit and there's something that's, that's common there. So I think that self-love, it's really important to have boundaries to, to, so that you can look after yourself and then, and then have self-acceptance. You know, we're just so caught up in the physicality of ourselves and that's, that's, you know, that's like a grain of sand in the desert compared to who we are, the essence of ourselves. So it's about accepting what we can if we don't like it and we can change it, change it. But if, you, if you're just happy with, with the way you are from a physical point of view, then just accept it and just love your body for the vehicle that it is for your life and just look after it, like nourish your body, you know, with, with good nutrition, lots of water, rest and sleep, sunshine, getting out in nature, all the beautiful things. And that is all part of self-love. All those bricks build up your self-love temple. It's incredible, actually, in this whole pandemic in the last two years, two and, and as you say, maybe continuing, we never, and I can honestly say this, I've never heard anyone say, in order to support your health, your mental health, your well-being, that beautiful vessel, our bodies, all of that, I've never heard someone say, love your body, nourish your body, drink plenty of water, rest, sleep, get into sunshine and have nature so that your immune system can tolerate any virus or anything that comes your way. I'm flabbergasted that here we are, nearly every person I have on the self-love podcast says that these are the most important things, yet it's not reported as important. Well, the, our leadership isn't telling us that, are they? You know, that's, we're, not being, we're not being encouraged to do that. I mean, there are small pockets that, who are, but, mo- but even pre-pandemic, you know, if, you, if something ails you, you go to the doctor. Whereas, you know, hundreds of years ago, remedies were from nature and that's where, that's where all the good stuff is. You know, the pharmaceutical stuff are toxins, you know. So the, le- less we can, the less we can put toxins in our body, the better. And so, you know, for me, it's always let's try something natural first. 
Yeah. And as we know, there's emergency medicine. And I'm sure, as you said, that drug that for Chloe gave her a lease of life for another number of years. So it's never about knocking medicine, but I am flabbergasted at how much better we all feel when we do those things that you suggest. And I I love those rituals. Is there any message that you would give to the self-love podcast listener on your beautiful, I guess if you could say it, what is your, your number one message? What is the number one thing that you really would love to encourage? encourage people to think, feel, and see for themselves. You talked earlier about something, the the days of of living giving you comfort and what has always given me comfort since Chloe passed away and I read it, I think I read it previous to her passing away, but it really helped me was that it's a perfectly ordered world. And that has been um, repeated to me more recently in this way is that if, if something has happened, it's, it's perfect because it happened the way that it happened. So I just think being present and living in the now and not being, you know, not romancing the future like in a negative way, especially for anxiety or worry and not being hooked into the emotions of the past and just know that all the power and all the empowerment and is right in the now, like right now, right now in this instant, it is all that matters and and that is all that we can control and influence so i think that being present and giving yourself time to just be without any distractions just you and your mind and your heart is really very very powerful and meditation and i know that meditation you know has this can be quite confronting that you might have to you know sit on a hard floor and you know, wrap yourself in orange robes and be a real monk. But you can meditate anywhere. You know, I know that Dr. Wayne Dyer used to meditate at the red traffic lights and he would joke because he was such a funny guy and he would joke that, oh, you know, the guy behind me always tells me when it's time to end my meditation. And so, like, he would, you know, meditate for three-minute stints. And I've been really trying to practice that, just bringing myself back to now, bring myself back to now. I don't know what's happening in the future. I don't know if it's true. I don't have any idea. I'm just guessing what's happening in the future. And the stuff in the past, I'm not going to be held back by that like an anchor. So just try and be really present and and be in the now and and just realise that everything happens in a perfect order. Even though it may not feel like it in the moment, there is always (laughs) something to take from it. Sweetheart, if someone wanted to work with you or be a part of the Divas International Club or get some beautiful coaching with you, where could we find you? Well, on my website, which is eleanorcrawford.com. Can you just spell that for us? Sure. It's E-L-E-A-N-O-R-C-R-A-W-F-O-R-D, so eleanorcrawford.com. Uh, I hang out on Instagram a lot at Eleanor Crawford Coaching and I also have the Divas Club International, which is the Divas Club International on Instagram as well. So that's where my events and sort of coaching is. Um, But I love coaching one-on-one. I find that so rewarding and seeing my clients make wholesale changes in their life is just amazing. I just love seeing it for them. It's not about how it makes me feel. It's about how they feel. You know, they just make these massive, you know, adjustments in their life that that make them feel so much better about themselves and their lives. And that is, that. I mean, that's the whole reason we do it, isn't it? To help yeah. others, to be of service. 
and that choice that we help people to see, although I love the gifts in which you allow people to see things from a different viewpoint, to become Mm -hmm. the observer, to become more aware and more connected and truthful and honest and authentic, as you say. Beautiful girl. we, we love quotes, you and I, we, we enjoy sharing quotes. Is there a particular quote that you would love to share with the Self Love Podcast listener? Well, I'm going to uh, quote a Dr. Joe Dispenza quote because I love him, and that is that gratitude is the ultimate state of receivership. So just being grateful for every little thing in your life just opens up that channel of receiving more abundance and more love and more joy, and I think that that's you know, a fantastic foundation to live. Eleanor Crawford, you are one special soul. I am so grateful to you. I'm very blessed to have met you and spent time. And we've certainly been each other's coach as well. Um, And that's one thing that I admire a lot about life and business coaches. A lot of them continue the journey for themselves because as both Al and I would say, that we are all a work in progress. Would you agree? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Still got a long way to go for sure. <laughs> it's an absolute treat to have you on the show, my love. And thank you. Please reach out, everybody. This exquisite soul is definitely someone worth following. Thank you for being on the show, gorgeous girl. Really appreciate your time. Oh, Kim, and uh, the second time was even better. So thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.